Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. All right, everybody. Hello and welcome back. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we're going to be jumping into a very pastoral conversation, we hope, on the general topic of the of repentance. And the word repentance for many of us, when we hear this word, brings to mind uh, some things that usually aren't so great or so mm. positive. You can think of especially protesters on the streets, and you can think of all of the atrocious things that they they're saying, atrocious and offensive things yeah. that they're saying, and in in very many ways today in the evangelical world, repentance is a word that is pretty divisive. Some people are very very pro repentance, mm. and make it a very a large theme in their preaching, and sometimes this can be good, sometimes it can be bad, and then some people on the opposite end of that spectrum may want to. Go away from the word repentance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really a word that I grew up hearing very much. For example, in my own childhood, uh, it wasn't preached very loudly. Uh, it wasn't talked about very much what it meant to repent. And I think that that was because there was a little bit of a of a fear of using the word, sort of an embarrassment of using the word because of how it had been used and has been used in the past. Misused, yeah. Uh, yeah, misused is a good way of saying it. And so we nevertheless wanted to jump, jump into this this theme because we do think that it is a very important biblical theme and a calling from the scripture. And it speaks a lot to where we're at today. And so in our in our culture today, we face... In many different places and many different forms, we face a lot of pride. Mm-hmm. Pride is a very common cultural artifact of our time because there is a sense in which people want to take pride in who they truly are deep down, uh, who their inner self is, and wanting to make this manifest in their lives. And so there's sort of a, a move to to affirm, to encourage anybody to live in any way that they would want. But the Christian message of the gospel meets this head on, mm-hmm. and it meets it head on with this word, repent. Mm-hmm. Repent and believe the gospel. The word repent is from the Greek word metanoia, or metanoeo, which means to turn around, to or to turn from something. And so we we see this clearly preached by Jesus right in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, mm-hmm. uh, where he says, repent and believe the gospel. So his message of the kingdom coming uh, that is now inaugurated and has we've now seen his death and his resurrection and his ascension, the message that comes along with this is the message of repentance, to turn, to turn from your former ways and to turn unto God. And yeah. so... And it's such a uh, yeah, it's such a countercultural thing because like even the fact that there are these things called pride parades, and yeah. um, that's not just of course a value of the LGBTQ plus community. No, no, but way. it is very much a value of any secular person. I would say that um, if one is going to have pride in themselves. There's a false dichotomy that's set up there. Yeah. That uh, if you value yourself, then you have to protect your um, your actions. You have to defend your actions at all costs. You can't ever be exposed. You can never mm-hmm. be um, proven wrong. That would be the worst thing that could happen for a lot of people. You've got to win every political argument. You've got to win mm-hmm. at at your job and your relationships and and any failure or even admission of failure or especially any sin that you commit in those mm-hmm. arenas is uh, is damaging to your pride, to your self-worth, maybe even for a lot yeah. of people. Unfortunately, that has become the false dichotomy. It's either you have no self-worth and you're going to be repentant or you do have confidence in yourself. It's, a, it's, it's too bad that that's set up in our culture as the choice. Yeah, and then it also is attached to the phenomenon of 
sort of demanding that others recognize you as you mm-hmm. as you claim to be no matter what you do right and so yeah. whatever you do whatever you however you feel inside must be manifest on the outside of your life and you must take pride in that and own up to that but also not just ask for others to to tolerate that but really now to uh to recognize that and to affirm that and to celebrate that even mm-hmm. and anything less is seen as not not being good enough mm. and so what we can see in just in these opening comments that we've already made is that repentance coordinates with humility whereas pride coordinates with stubbornness there is a, a sort of stubbornness that we see in our culture because of pride an unwillingness to turn around an unwillingness to change an unwillingness to admit fault or to and to confess sin even mm-hmm. and so part and parcel of christianity is it hinges on this conversation of confession of sin turning from our former ways and living in, in the light of christ and following him mm-hmm. and so admitting I think we're wrong just just that right admitting there sin. opens the door to a lot of interesting conversations that we can get up or get into uh, as we go along here yeah yeah. So what well, were some reasons we we wanted to to talk about this issue in particular? Yeah, there's um a lot of conversation happening right now in the Christian Reformed Church about uh, particularly about same-sex marriage and the human sexuality re- sexuality report that was released, but um mm-hmm. I would say there the conversation needs to get down to some a more fundamental level than just that. Um, interpretation of biblical texts on homosexuality, um, there's something below the surface that I perceive uh, people are talking past each other on, um, Mm -hmm. which is this topic of repentance. And so um, here's how I've seen this play out very recently through um, social media posts and a conversation that I've observed in the Christian Reformed Church among pastors, that um, there there are those who are... um, in favor of holding to the theologically traditional position on uh, homosexuality, who are calling people to repent of that sin of homosexuality and enter into a life in Christ. And so um, I have observed many times in even recent days and weeks, pastors posting, we want we want all people to come to a knowledge, a mm-hmm. saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And um, the way to show that you are born again, the way to be assured of your salvation is having a deep contrition, a deep repentance over any sin that God labels, any activity that God labels as sin in his word. And so mm-hmm. come, come into the church, come into this place of, of healing, of regeneration, of new life, where we all repent together of anything that God's word calls sin. So there's that invitation, uh, given I've seen many times among those holding to the theologically traditional position on on, on mm-hmm. sexuality, and that's often countered by, that sounds really mean. Hmm. That sounds like um, we're pushing people outside. It, it, it's often perceived as kind of a veiled attempt at controlling people's behavior hmm. and the way that they think, even maybe the way that they think about themselves. So, um, again, this is something that I've seen quite a few times, even in the recent weeks here, as there are lots of conversations happening among pastors. And um, I perceive that there's probably not a lot of call to deep, universal repentance of people in such churches. Um, The perception of what repentance is, is probably different in those two camps of what that looks like. And mm-hmm. I, I want to flesh out a biblical understanding of repentance, and not just that, but a reformed understanding of what it means to be humbled about our sin, to turn from our sin. Um, and so I, I, I have in our yeah. notes here, we need to establish an ethos of repentance. Yeah, that's a that good point. That is essential for this conversation about not just same-sex marriage, but any other issue, uh, racism, uh you know, caring for the environment, uh, caring for the, the outsider, um, all of these things are going to require that we have a biblical and reformed ethos of repentance. And so um, maybe to, to give 
what some people perceive as the ethos of repentance, some people think that when a pastor stands in front of a congregation and says, all you repent of your sin and come to Christ, they perceive that as sort of like, see this, <laughs> see this crap on the floor, yeah. you know, that you made? We're gonna stick I'm going to shove it. your face in that stuff <laughs> until you realize how bad it is. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's what some people perceive as rep- uh, the call to repentance is like yeah. almost delighting in another person's sin and shoving their face down into it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that is the understanding of repentance for some so-called Christians. I don't think yeah. that that's what Jesus does at all in his ministry. And that sort of goes back to what I said about some people standing on the streets, you know, with yeah, signs totally. of turn or burn, that sort of thing. Right. And so let's shove your face in your sin. And people sort of almost sadistically like to make others feel bad for their sin. And right. And so that is not what we're trying to do. And and that's often understood to be the motivation for those of us who hold to the theologically mm-hmm. traditional position on sexuality. Um, that I've even, you know, heard some pastors say that's how they read the the new report is that it's kind of doing that. It's like shoving people's face in something. But the report, I don't think, is doing that. Certainly God's Word is not doing that. Instead, the biblical and Reformed ethos of repentance is to say, I'm a sinner. You are also a sinner. Let's Mm -hmm. discover our sin together by reading God's Word. Let's repent of that sin when we learn about it. Let's rely completely on Christ, and let's help one another to weed out this destructive behavior, this destructive thought process, these destructive desires that we're having. Let's work together at fulfilling the will of God for our lives. Hmm. That hopefully is the ethos of repentance that certainly then will allow for us to deal with all kinds of sins in a constructive way. Yeah, the ethos of repentance, one of the most important things to say here is that we should look at ourselves first. First, assess yeah. our own sin. And not, That's biblical. If if your if your ethos of repentance is to point the finger at somebody else, you're doing something wrong with repentance. Repentance mm-hmm. should start with yourself. Yeah. And so we see th- this picture perfectly in the, in Jesus's parable in Luke 18, uh, where you have the Pharisee and the tax collector, and they each go into the temple to pray, and the Pharisee goes in and essentially says, "Thank you, Lord, that I am not like that sinner over there." And the tax collector beats his breast and weeps mm-hmm. and says, Lord, forgive me. For, I, I am a yeah, sinner. Just have mercy, please. Have God. mercy on me. Yeah. Uh, and that is, one of those is not true repentance. Mm-hmm. And one of those is true repentance. And his his prayer for mercy is for himself, first and foremost. He fully recognizes his sin and is willing to confront that sin in the presence of God's holiness. He, he sees God, he sees himself, and he realizes this does not work. I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. And so that is first and foremost how we should approach repentance. Yeah, and I, <laughs> Repentance is something that I find myself doing a lot mm. and probably should do <laughs> even more. Yeah, uh, And that's a good thing. And there's an urgency to the to the biblical reformed ethos of repentance as well. And I think that that is often what our Mm. Christian reformed church is lacking. Um, So, you know, we've uh, been exposed to uh, videos that uh, young people have Mm -hmm. um, created about um, same-sex marriage and and homosexuality. And, uh, you know, I've heard uh, pastors commenting on these things. And the... The, the urgency and the need for Christian salvation, um, thinking of things in terms of there is a heaven and there is a hell, and there is sin and there is virtue, there is a life that is that is leads to death, and there is real life in Christ. It, mm. it does not seem like that urgency is there to understand the law of God, uh, the grace of Christ, and the will of God for our lives among many Christian Reformed people today. And, and uh, that gets a little bit back to a comment I made several episodes ago. I think it was a CRC part one about Christian Reformed preaching where there is so often 
um, an mm. urgency that is lacking in it. Like even saying hell, saying the word hell, possibly even saying the word sin in a sermon in mm-hmm. a way that will stir people to say, what must I do to be saved? What what could I do to, to, uh, uh, to be saved, to be uh, re- mm-hmm. reborn, uh, to be made new in Christ? Um, I, I do. I don't think it's just a generalization. Over the course of my ministry, I, I have, you know, heard many candidacy uh, interviews and heard many sermons, and now read many banner articles about uh, various things that are dealing with topics of sin and do not and lack the urgency that we're called to have in our repentance. Yeah, it often treats repentance and hell as passe sort of outdated ways of thinking hmm. I, I think we we live in a very cynical time we live in the age of memes i especially see this working with youth uh, and so it's very easy to meme christian things and make <laughs> jokes of how how dumb christianity can appear hmm. on the surface yeah. and so we, we almost sort of cringe that would be the right word too. cringe at the at, at the thought of preaching hell of preaching repentance of preaching damnation even those sorts of things are so like can't we just move beyond that that's that's how a lot of people feel and i I confess i i even feel like that sometimes too but looking at the word of god you can't escape that you can't escape those sort of hard realities that 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 exist that everything is on the line here Mm -hmm. and if we lose that sort of urgency and we will we will lose the call to repentance. We will no longer sound like the apostles in the book of Acts. The constant call is repent and be baptized. Right? That's that's what's <laughs> what's what we're called to do is to call people to repentance to mm. show them you are sinners. Yeah. We are too, but we can repent. We can know Christ. We can confess our sins, and He will forgive us mm. if we confess them in faith. And so that is really what it all hinges on. Yeah, and I was really. I haven't had too many times where I've read a quote that has just absolutely hit me so hard that it's changed a lot immediately about even the types of things that I preach. But Francis Chan Hmm. was once, um, I don't know if it was I heard him say it or if I saw him read, I'm pretty sure I heard him say it, was he's talking about the seriousness of the existence of hell and um, eternal punishment Mm -hmm. for people who reject Christ. And he said... If you don't talk about hell because you think that it's loving to not talk about it, you're convincing yourself you can be more loving than Jesus because he talked about it. <laughs> and and I think that's exactly what is happening in broader evangelicalism and certainly in seeker-sensitive evangelicalism <laughs> and in the Christian Reformed Church as well that that the the lack of mention of hell is because we're convincing ourselves we can be really loving towards our neighbor and de facto are are thinking that maybe we could be more loving than Jesus was because he talked about it. I don't think people would admit to that, but um, that is where the, that's the logical conclusion of the absence of a mention of hell and the absence of a mention to, of a call to repentance into life in Christ. Hmm. Yeah, that's that may have been in his book, Erasing Hell. Maybe uh, I, I'm not sure exactly. He might have been speaking after he had written the book or something. Yeah, that was a pretty good book. Interesting thoughts on annihilationism and okay, things like I haven't that. read the book, but yeah. so then maybe you okay, it couldn't have come from the book then. Maybe it was something, <laughs> some sort of yeah address that he that he gave from the book. It is interesting though, just while we're talking about Jesus, like his his usage of the word hell often comes up. In places, just off the top of my mind, I can think of Matthew 25, for example, the sheep and the goats. Mm. Um, and it's the people who are not following him that go to hell, go to Gehenna, uh, that are that are damned. Away from me, I, I, I didn't know you, is what he says in another place in Matthew, yeah. in Matthew 7. Um, and so, just, it's sort of a random thought, but... Jesus is calling Christians to live in a way that he's calling them to live mm. and he's calling them to live in a way particularly in these passages where they're called to serve the poor, the weak, the uh, the oppressed even 
Um, that's Matthew 25 mm-hmm. very clearly. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the Christian life should look like. And that's what repentance should look like is no longer living in a way that seeks power, that seeks to abuse people, that seeks to take advantage of people, but following Christ now and his pathway of going low and mm-hmm. being a lowly servant of others, uh, not trying to to gain uh, power for yourself. This just sort of makes me think of Tom Holland's book that I've been starting to read uh, called Dominion, where he talks about one of the interesting things, and he's an atheist writing about sort of the the benefits of Christianity on mm. human history. Mm. He's saying the interesting thing about Christians is that they were the first people in their cultural context to serve the lowly and the despised and the marginalized. Um, yeah, just that's a yeah. random thought. I yeah. figured I'd, I'd throw that in. And, and uh, well, then that's the, <laughs> what the repentant life. So if we have a serious and sober view of our own sin and of our own lowliness, mm-hmm. if we don't believe our own press, you might say, yeah. um, then that, that will not only prompt us to repent of our sin, mm-hmm. but that it will call us into a life of humility, of humble service to people who could never repay us, like what Jesus said. Right. What good does it do you to love somebody who could repay you? Um, anybody could do that, even the, mm-hmm. the, the non-believers do that. But you're called to serve someone who could never do something in, in, in repayment. And so that repentance that starts with our sin and our own humility mm-hmm. launches us into a, a life of service um, yeah, and, and exactly. kindness and gentleness and so forth. And that shows that repentance also isn't, therefore, just a change of your mind. It is that. It is a change of mind, but it's also a change of your will and of your your way of life. Uh, and so if it's just something that you think about doing or maybe you, you think you've done, if you haven't begun to live out a life of repentance, then something is mm. fatally wrong in, in your repentance. It's incomplete repentance, we would say. Yeah. Um, so I think it might be good even just here before we go into the biblical examples of, of repentance, because we have to look at what the what does the Bible say <laughs> repentance sure. is. Um, it may be good to just sort of define it. Maybe I guess we can't really do that without Scripture, but I, I do want to say that there is probably a good definition of repentance that we could give, and one of the, one of the best I have found uh, was from the Second Helvetic Confession from chapter 14 of the Second Helvetic Confession. This is of of course, written by Heinrich Bullinger uh, in the 1560s, 1564 to be exact. It's a lesser-known confession. Um, it comes from the Swiss Reformed Church, but I think he nails it and knocks it out of the park by asking the question, what is repentance? This is, again, the 14th chapter. He says, by repentance we understand, first, the recovery of a right mind and sinful man, awakened by the word of the gospel and the Holy Spirit, and received by true faith, by which the sinner immediately acknowledges his innate corruption and all his sins accused by the word of God. That's the first part of it. The second, he says, is and grieves for them. He grieves for his sins from his heart and not only bewails and frankly confesses them or clearly confesses them before God with a feeling of shame, but also, the third part, with indignation abominates them. That's And that's the third part and the fourth part. And now zealously considers the amendment of his ways and constantly strives for innocence and virtue in which conscientiously to exercise himself and all the rest of his life. Yeah. So we see that it's a noticing of your, your lack of matching up to God's holiness, grieving for the sins that have put you in that position, hating your sins that have, that have gotten you where you are, and now zealously for the rest of your life striving for virtue by the power of the Spirit. That, I think, is what we'll see as we unpack what repentance looks like in Scripture. So I think it's good to start with a sort of technical definition. Yeah, and one of the parts of that definition that really stands out is to uh, have indig- indignation. In indignation, we abominate our sins. Yeah, man, um, the language there. That's <laughs> very reformational, but yeah. very, very clear and well said. And I think it captures, like we were saying, that ethos of urgency. Yeah. So... We if, do not see a lot of hatred of sin. Yeah. Sometimes 
in myself I, that's that's what i need to say too yeah and well yeah like paul says several times watch your di- life and doctrine closely yeah. and and so when we're watching it closely with um hopefully the filter of the word of god and the holy spirit uh, that we're applying to our own lives, we're going to find things that deserve our indignation um, and uh, that yeah. would sort of discourage us in a way about ourselves for a moment at least, but then to turn for the solution of Christ, the, to turn to grace. Um, I would guess that just right after that, um, in the second Helvetic Confession, the solution is presented, of course, as you can't repent enough and find your own way into this mm-hmm. holy life that God requires of us, but it's a life that we enter by faith mm-hmm. through Christ. So um, I think that's part of the issue, I think, with repentance is that it focuses a lot on the sin itself, and yeah. repentance in and of itself, definitely by the secular definition, it doesn't really present the obvious solution. Yeah, it's turning... F- from turning something. from, yeah, and so the Christian we always emphasize what we're turning also to. Yeah, there's the there's a negating part of it. I yeah. negate my sin. I turn from it. But there's also a positive part where you are positively turning towards Christ. Yeah, and maybe we need to do a better job in the Reformed Church of saying what you're what you're born into, what you're mm-hmm. becoming when you repent. Um, that's that's often what the person with the sign on the street corner lacks is yeah. a presentation of the beautiful, joyful, holy life that God calls us to live. Um, yeah. That's So when we talk about repentance, hopefully that's within the ethos here also, that it's not just the seriousness of sin, but it's the beauty of a life in Christ. Yeah, there's the, the kindness of God that leads us yeah. to repentance. That's what it should be. It's God's kindness to reveal our sin to us so that we see it clearly and can repent. So maybe an example of that, a little story here would be um, when I go and visit a elderly couple and one of them is dying and the, this elderly couple is spending every minute savoring every minute together after 50, 60 years of marriage. Um, There's something so beautiful about that relationship I've seen this many times in my ministry, Hmm. leaving a house of an old man and an old woman who just love every moment together and they're just praying for more of these moments. That causes me to repent of my failings in my marriage. Hmm. Just at times to um, not take as seriously as I should the amount of time that I should be spending with my wife, the care and attention that I should be giving to her. So that's sort of reversing it. It's not showing me first what my sin is. It's showing me the beauty of a, an yeah. amazing husband-wife relationship that prompts me to repent and look within and look to God's word, mm-hmm. look to Ephesians 5. Am I uh, dying to myself as I should be for, for <laughs> my wife? Um, and uh, that I, I feel sorrow about how I might be failing to do that. So that's a yeah. little bit of a practical example of what repentance could look like. Yeah, you're seeing... A standard. Yeah. And you're seeing that you do not live up to that standard. Um, So if we were to think about some really helpful, important, pivotal parts of Scripture that talk about repentance, it's really all over the Old and the New Testaments. Um, We could talk about the idea of of turning in the Old Testament. This is Mm -hmm. sort of the equivalent for the word repentance in the New Testament. Repentance is in the English translation of the Old Testament, but of sure. course the Hebrew words are not the same as the Greek words. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that all throughout the Old Testament, there's this idea of turning. And so people, you can see Israel turning from God, the Lord turning from them in judgment, or the Lord returning to his people, and the people are returning to him. They're, mm. So we see a lot of this all throughout the story of the Israelites as they are breaking God's covenant, they turn from him and they return to him uh, in in sorrow and in confession of sin. And he turns to his people and redeems them. Uh, so that's the story of the exiles, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we were going to look at a quintessential uh, example of repentance from the Old Testament, the most obvious one is, has got to be Psalm 51, in my mind. 
I don't think that, that can be beat. That is the, the quintessential prayer of yeah. repentance in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I'm going to use our confession of sin this Sunday to, it's going to be based on Psalm 51. Yeah. Uh, it's David, right? After he's committed adultery. It's David yeah. after, after adultery and, uh, and committing murder. Yeah. Um, by having Bathsheba's husband put on the front lines and killed so that his sin wouldn't be discovered. Uh, and so we can all remember the, f- the first few lines, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Hmm. That always makes me think of the John Foreman song, the singer from uh, Switchfoot, mm-hmm. who has a song, where it's just the words of Psalm 51. Mm. And yeah, I, I love, I love this Psalm. It's talking about washing me, making me white as snow, uh, and confessing what, what he's done. David admits that he has, he has blood, he has blood guilt on his hands. Mm-hmm. He's not only taken this woman in an act of perverse adultery, uh, and of using his power, um, over her, but he has used his power also to kill her husband. And so it's this extremely wicked, abominable thing that he does. And so he finally, he realizes this and is only able to say, have mercy on me. He sounds a lot like the tax collector Mm -hmm. uh, that we've already looked at. And so that is, I think, foundational, pivotal to what repentance should look like. If you want words for repentance, you can do no better than reading Psalm 51. Yeah, and by today's standards, some people might say that Nathan was being kind of mean to David <laughs> for making him feel this yeah, way. Yeah, you are the man. Yeah, and so how how dare Nathan yeah. um, make him feel this terrible? Yeah. Uh, if if feelings are all that matters, the doctrine of sola feels, as uh, <laughs> it has been called, I think, by the Babylon Bee, um, if that's all that matters, then there's a lot of the Bible that isn't going to make sense. Mm-hmm. But... Um, it's a mercy. It's a grace of God. It's, it's it's a grace of God that Moses was found to be to have murdered an Egyptian, and he was found out, hmm. and he had to deal with the consequences of that sin that he had committed, and God ends up using that to um, orchestrate the delivery of his people from slavery. It's a mercy of God that Nathan went to David to convict him of his sin, to call him to repentance. You are the man, again, with yeah. the, the sheep analogy. With he's not, he's not trying to puff him up saying, you're the man. That's not, that's <laughs> you not are what he's saying. that man who is, who is truly sinful in some yeah. terrible ways. And so David repents. And the great irony in repentance is that lowering ourselves, debasing ourselves, uh, humbling ourselves before God, recognizing our sin, is the way to God exalting us. Um, that's the one who God lifts. That's um, a, a common theme in the book of Proverbs, although yeah. it's not often talking about repentance explicitly in Proverbs. The common refrain is to, to trust not in yourself, but to rely fully on God. And mm. God lifts up and exalts the humble. Uh, and so, again, as I said earlier, Repentance and humility go hand in hand. Repentance is the acting out of humility before God. Yeah. So yeah. that's a famous Old Testament look at, at repentance. What might be a New Testament well, passage? Well, um, we've already said a couple, Mark one fifteen, where Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, so repent and believe the good news. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, that implies a lot. It implies that one cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you repent unless you let go of the kingdom of this world, the the kingdoms that you're trying to build for yourselves, mm-hmm. the kingdom of your self-reliance and so forth. Um, repent and believe my good news, the, the news of Jesus' kingship over yeah. your life, Jesus' salvation that he provides for us through the cross and resurrection. So um, there's a lot there. We've already also talked about Luke 18, this great little uh, parable that Jesus tells and and to read something from the end of that where Jesus is, is describing the man who was truly repentant who just said he couldn't even lift his head up to heaven but beat his breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus hmm. says, I tell you that this man rather than the other, the one who is self-righteous, 
went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so that humility isn't just um, a humility of service, a humility of caring for others. It's a humility of um, that Helvetic confession, indignation towards your own sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love also where um, the Apostle Paul is describing what is happening in the lives of Gentiles who are coming to faith. And he gives this oh, yeah. he, he gives this description of what's happening in their lives. And he's trying to convince the Jews that a Gentile could be saved. And so he says in Acts 11, um, he's describing the situation when everyone heard Paul's report. They heard this. They had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. And uh, that encapsulates both what they're coming from, a life of sin and and distance from God, uh, into a life of uh, spirit-filled worship and obedience of Christ. Yeah, that fits really well with Paul's argument in Romans, the book of Romans in 6 through 8, uh, chapter 6 through 8, where he's talking about death to self and life in Christ. Mm-hmm. Repentance mm-hmm. is a part of that death, but it's also a part of that life. And Martin Luther picks this up really well in the 95 Theses by saying that repentance is something we do every day. We never stop repenting. It's mm-hmm. not some some penitential cycle where we sin, we confess to a priest, we're absolved of our sins, and we, we wait until we sin again. But repentance always is happening constantly it's a part of of our daily life um and to be born again is to regularly repent like one can have more and more assurance of your salvation again Mm -hmm. it's very ironic if you are repenting Mm -hmm. (laughs) repenting of your sin and so again uh, we hear so much rhetoric from our world that says you be you you do you Jesus is nice. Jesus is love. God is love. God wants a community for you. He's your cheerleader in the sky, yeah. essentially. Well, and and come into the church and you'll be loved. And and that is true, but hopefully we also say come into the church where where you're you're going to be called to die to your sin. And that's what we're all doing here, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be risen with Christ, of course. But um again, this very common urgent call to repent of the new testament must be recaptured if a church is going to be healthy or if a denomination is going to be Mm -hmm. healthy i think a really good picture of repentance also in the new testament is the prodigal son in luke 15 sure this is what so i I said that psalm 51 is the prayer of repentance this is the story of repentance this is a good capturing of what it looks like uh to repent. So we, we know the story. The prodigal son takes his inheritance and squanders it and finds himself eating pig slop and realizes this is not where I want to be. It would be better if I was still in my dad's household, even working as one of the servants mm-hmm. uh, for my father. Mm-hmm. And so repentance is not just him thinking that, which is important. So he's coming to his senses and he's waking up and he is doing the difficult, humiliating, you might even say, mm. work mm-hmm. of walking back mm. home. That is what repentance looks like. It is a coming to to senses, uh, coming to your, to getting a grip on reality and realizing, I need to return to the Lord. And the great news of the story there is that the father runs out to greet him. He sees him a long way off and runs out to greet him. Mm. Repentance is something that we do with sorrow, but it's also something we do with great anticipation and hope and eagerness because that's where life is going to be found. It's not going to be found by continually eating the pig slop. Yeah. It's going to be found by returning home and by being embraced by the father. And so... That is, I think, what repentance looks like. Well, and uh, to use an example of what that prodigal son looks like today, all my time spent in the prison, I encounter men who would even say, it's good that I'm here. Kind of like Moses or David saying, it's good that I was found out. Yeah. Because it made me 
realize how serious my life was going off track, how much sin I was committing. And it woke me up kind of like this prodigal son in the pig slop. And I'm not glad that, you know, these, (laughs) I don't take delight that these men are sitting in prison, but um, the men themselves will say, I'm working things out here. Hmm. And I had to be removed from society so that the Lord could wake me up. Um, Hmm. And yet there's many others who would be sitting right next to them who would still be very proud, very unable to admit to ever doing anything wrong. Um, You know, it's, it's somebody else's fault that I'm here. It's some, uh, somebody, you know, who who turned me in and, or lied about me, which maybe could be true, Hmm. but there is so much pride, even in the prison, even in the pig slop, uh, that, uh, it's a work of God. It's an act of God that some people are awakened. Well, let's to face the it, right? It's, it's never easy to be eating pig slop and to yeah. admit you're wrong. Yeah, it's almost easier to just keep eating pig slop and to, <laughs> to you know, just sort of you've made to your bed down. now, lie in it, yep. double down. Yep. Don't don't uh, turn back now. Just keep going. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of a a way of distinguishing. Not that we have to go around trying to judge who's a Christian and who's not all the time. But one thing that I try to do as a pastor is to help people, to encourage people towards that repentance. And um, occasionally it will be sort of my job to wake people up and say, I Mm -hmm. I just don't see sorrow here for some things that you should be grieving over. Um, You know, it's... uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but you do see people who sort of coast through life in the church and they, they know things about Jesus, they know things about God, they know things about the church, maybe they profess their faith, um, and, and things look good on paper, but underneath that hmm. is a proud spirit, is a self-reliance mm-hmm. um, that makes me sometimes worried for their salvation because just that assurance of, real repentance is just not all that evident in their lives. Yeah, this this conversation definitely lends itself towards a, a discussion of church discipline. Yeah. Uh, those The two, are, they fit together. Today in our world, church discipline is completely out the window for the most part. Mm. Nobody likes to be policing other people's lives, their spiritual religious lives especially Mm. um we live in a time where those that that's part of our of our individuality is is basically seen to be private uh and so we're not really allowed we think in our world to to call others to repentance Mm. um often the retort that you'll get is you you have the the huge plank in your own eye, man. Take that out first before you yeah. come talk, knocking on my door. Mm-hmm. And there could be truth to that, of course, but we should be open to having our our brothers and sisters call us out. Yeah, um, that's a mark of regeneration as well. Help me, help yeah, me see my please. sins. Yeah, we should be as difficult as it can be to hear it. Mm. Uh, my wife will tell you that I am not good at receiving uh, criticism. <laughs> um and so I have to get better at that. But I want her to keep telling me where she sees me uh, making mistakes or not caring for her um, and being selfish. I want her to tell me that, even though she may feel like it's a lost cause sometimes. Uh, mm. I, I want deeply to improve uh, because I want to do better by her. And so in the same way with my faith, I want people to to point out blind spots to me um, or to point out sin that I that I don't even recognize, mm. because I desperately need to look more like Christ and to be more like Christ. Um, and so this is what church discipline is all about. It's about not taking joy in other people's no. pain. It's not Schadenfreude, which is the German word for enjoying other people's misery, mm. but it's it is a life and death situation, oftentimes, and the church has to step in. And for the for the for the sake of people's souls yeah. uh, and their lives, yeah. to call them to repentance. And your picture of the, of the inmates in the prison is is telling because that's often the exact response people have to church discipline. For some, it is 
joy that they've been they've been called out for mm. others it pushes them further and further away from the church uh, it reveals i would yeah. say it reveals where they're really at and and so that's that's even where i would say we can be careful i don't think we're actually pushing anyone out this is one thing that i've had to talk about with people is in a in a case of church discipline you've made the decision to separate yourself from mm-hmm. the community of God through sin, through a sinful behavior, what we're doing is helping you recognize that. Mm-hmm. So um, excommunication could seem like something that the church does right. towards someone, but actually it's naming reality. It's yeah. naming the reality that someone is absolutely opposed to the will of God and to correction in an area of their life and will not repent of that, and so therefore cannot, already is not participating right. in communion with the yeah. church, and we're, we're naming that, we're recognizing that. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to be pretty yeah. careful about that when we as elders try to, to correct something in someone's life, and we're saying, we're not coming down on you and mm-hmm. giving you a new law, we're showing God's law to you and saying, is this correct? Is are, are we seeing things right here? And at times, people in their own brazenness will say, "Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah. I'm going my way here." Yeah, that's often why. As I was researching in the confessions of the Reformed tradition on repentance, often just underneath discussions of repentance is discussions of the power of the keys. Yeah, because they're getting at this idea of the church needs to call people to repentance. The church doesn't get to make people not Christians. The church has, yeah. I have no power to to kick somebody out of the church. Yeah, that would be a misreading of the keys we of the kingdom. We only have the yeah. power to recognize that somebody has already breached communion, breached fellowship, mm-hmm. breached trust, and and has therefore removed themselves effectively and functionally from the body of the church. And so we're just recognizing that for their sake mm-hmm. so that they would return, that they would come back, and that they would receive the grace of the gospel. Yeah, I think that's that gets to a very worldly and secular understanding of what the church does, particularly with something like sexual <laughs> ethics. Like um, they would say, we just that's came up point. with a list of rules, and these list of rules that seems actually arbitrary now to those who are really bought into the uh, progressive, worldly um, attitude towards sexuality. They, our rules will seem fairly arbitrary um, because their rules actually are quite arbitrary anyways, and so they foist that attitude on, on the church as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas all we're saying is we go by God's law in, in examining our own lives and in examining, helping people examine their lives as well. And mm-hmm. so here's what the Word says. Here's what sin is, uh, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, um, lost all of these different types of things mm-hmm. are, are must be repented of and we're not just making that up here it is right on the page this has always mm-hmm. been the standard for all our people and we call everyone to repentance so um i think that gets a little bit to the accusation of creating an arbitrary list of things mm-hmm. um because no one would want to repent in a community where all of a sudden some new new rule comes up and it might just seem like that new rule exists to make me uh keep me down so okay. to speak that's that's not what we're, we're calling not adding people. new rules no um in fact we're we're going back to really the objective standard of the word of god what do you do with the sort of i don't know a, the argument that how come the church inconsistently applies God's law then? How come Mm. you Christians are so intent on speaking into people, what what people do in their their sexual lives, in their bedrooms, but you're not worried about gluttony? You know, that's a sin too. Right. Uh, So you should be just as loudly calling out these people and just as aggressively calling out these people as, as you do for the homosexuals or the transgender yeah. people or what my, have you. My response would be to say, I recognize the hypocrisy and the potential for hypocrisy. And so more, uh, there, there's two responses to hypocrisy. One is to say, it's everything's all good. And so that's to say, um, mm-hmm. we're, we're not going <laughs> to enforce just... any uh, of God's law anymore so that we're not hypocrites, mm-hmm. which is, 
the way of the Unitarian Universalists and um, the liberal church, I would say, mm -hmm. increasingly, except they have some cardinal sins of racism and uh, not caring for the world and, and things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, but, so sort of the, I don't want to name names with the bad Christian podcast, sort of. Yeah. That's the whole agenda there is that we don't really care about anything anymore, about right. any any moral standards. We're not going to say we live by them. We're just not going to live by them at all. We don't care. So by they notice hypocrisy, and then they say the solution to hypocrisy is antinomianism. Mm -hmm. Or which I, say, I I will say that that's, that's a consistent position to take. I just don't think <laughs> it's the right. No, it's position. and it's not biblical. <laughs> or our response should then be, help us see which sins need which which air which verses of God's word need to be addressed more in our context. Mm -hmm. um, so the solution to hypocrisy for some, even in the Christian Reformed Church, is drifting into antinomianism. Yeah. Um, but the solution to hypocrisy, I would say, would be to get clearer about the law of God and to preach all of it. Yeah, so I would say, yeah, you're probably right. Maybe we yep. should be saying more about gluttony. That doesn't mean we should, we should ignore important texts of scripture because we ignore or apparently yeah. ignore gluttony but i would just say okay <laughs> maybe we should raise the standard more of god's law I, I never want to lower the standard of god's law uh, because i need that mirror to see where i fail yeah so I, i'm all for let's preach on gluttony let's have a sermon on gluttony let's do it um that's that's often the example i see going around people give because mm -hmm. it's such greed. like it almost seems laughable in yeah. our world, right? That, that greed is overeating could be a problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Greed, well, greed is more clearly a problem, but and but it, yeah, to come full circle too, it's so interesting. So the antinomian, that this is the person who is against really the law of God as a standard for our life, and mm -hmm. it's a it's a very common trend in our culture. The antinomian is avoiding repentance. That's why they would want to do away with the law of God mm -hmm. because it hurts to repent. Um, it hurts for a moment, but, um, and, and there's a, a salve, there's a yeah. solution for it immediately in the gospel. Um, but the antinomian is avoiding repentance, I would say, fundamentally. Hmm. Whereas my response to the person who would give the accusation of hypocrisy would be repentance. It would be to say, wow, we could have messed this up. And it would be unfortunate if we focus too much on these six sins and not on these four sins that you're showing me are right out of God's word that we need to talk about. Mm -hmm. My attitude to the accusation of hypocrisy would hopefully be repentance. Show me. Show me where God's word convicts me. Hmm. Don't, though, just accuse like Satan does randomly of, of just, oh, well... Um, uh, you know, he, he exists to accuse and to deceive. And so I think we, we can be sometimes uh, hyper-apologetic, maybe, um, mm -hmm. about such accusations that if somebody's just coming in and, oh, I, I, I didn't hear, I heard the sermon on, on sexuality, and so I'm going to accuse you of never talking about gluttony, <laughs> that's just an accusation probably from Satan um, mm -hmm. that is actually not all that helpful. Mm -hmm. But if somebody does show, I've listened to 18 of your sermons and you talk a lot about this, but there's this thing in the scriptures that really apply well to those sermons that you missed. Mm -hmm. I'd say, wow, I've got to work that in. I've got to, mm -hmm. I've got to improve. Um, I've heard the illustration used that um, preaching is a lot like surgery. Um, the surgeon has to be willing yeah. to cut someone. And of course you cut someone so that you can get into the body and remove the cancer. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a whole lot of preaching that refuses to cut, and so therefore we'll never get to the cancer. Yeah. Um, now, I love the That's illustration. Apt. I think it's actually Chrysostom who came up with that illustration. But we just um, talked about him in youth group this past <laughs> week. But uh, I, what I really like about the the illustration too is to say that no pastor should like cutting people. Hmm. Just like if somebody becomes a surgeon because they like cutting people. <laughs> That's sadistic, that's wrong, mm -hmm. that's really messed up. Yeah. But unfortunately, there would probably be some ministers who kind of like cutting people. And um, maybe they would then sort of include some Jesus in there mm -hmm. so that they could feel better about enjoying cutting people mm -hmm. and doing the call to repentance. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, that, that feels 
maybe powerful for some people. Um, I would say, hopefully, the point is to get to the surgery. The point is to get to the cancer, to the solution. And cutting is a necessary step in getting there, yeah. whether that's some cutting that these you as each of our listeners need to do in your own heart, um, self-surgery, you might say. Um, hopefully, that's done to get to the solution of grace and not just to cut yourself. Yeah, I can imagine some people listening to this might take issue with with our focus here on repentance because it's sort of it sounds like the sort of reformational law versus gospel thing and you know with the new perspective on Paul isn't that so outdated um isn't the gospel not so much about justification and forgiveness of sins as it is about the the, the gospel of the kingdom mm, yeah. and i would say that's a false dichotomy but yeah. The interesting thing about about repentance is that no matter how you slice it, it's it tie it's tied in with the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, that's what Jesus says. Jesus says in Mark one five or one fifteen, is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repentance is the pathway towards getting in line with the kingdom of Christ. Because <laughs> right. uh, you're not naturally. You're, that's so yeah, reformed. Yeah. You're out of line with the kingdom. You are in the kingdom of darkness, as Paul would say, and Colossians 1. And so there's a conversion that needs to take place, and repentance is a part of that conversion. Hmm. Um, it's the turning from your former kingdom into the kingdom of Christ and becoming a citizen of Christ's kingdom. And by it's removing yourself or walking out of the city gates of the, the kingdom of this world, essentially. Yeah, and the stakes are so high. That's maybe where we want to conclude that the reason that we talk yeah. about things and the re- the reason that surgery is required for someone with cancer is that it's a life or death matter. Yeah. And for my Christian Reformed listeners, I, I do think that that's something that we have to be, we have to capture more in the Christian Reformed Church. In our preaching. Wh- whether it's through the banner or through the, the preaching from a typical CRC pulpit or comments that I see from Christian Reformed ministers on internet forums, we are in life-or-death scenarios. We're, we're talking about heaven and hell, about virtue and sin. And um, just to hmm. treat the church as a community, a community of believers. Okay, what do we believe in even mm-hmm. there, right? Um, yeah, we are that, but we are... Um, we're the outpost. We're the the refuge for sinners mm-hmm. in a many times in the New Testament a sinful and depraved generation. Yeah, um, a, we're a new creation inside of the old creation. Right, and so the stakes are as high as they could be, and so we've got to get this right. That's maybe where I would want to conclude this conversation: is that um, hopefully we can adopt this attitude of seriousness about sin. And um, again, the, the point is not to get serious about other people's sin, like the Pharisee was in Jesus' parable, yeah. but to get serious about my sin and to help people uh, receive salvation as they understand their own sin as well and repent of it, turn to Christ. Yeah, it's repentance is a part of the gospel. It's a part, yeah. it's a part of of faith. And so one of the things that the reformed tradition always makes clear is that the connection between repentance and belief, repentance and faith, the two are essentially two sides of the same coin mm-hmm. uh, and they can't go without the other. Um, and so I think that's, that is a good place to end it there, Mark on urgency. Mm-hmm. Do we have an urgency over our sin and our need for for transformation, our need for justification, for sanctification, our need for Christ? Or are we okay? Have we gotten to the point where we're content with our sin Uh, and we're not willing to even call it sin? It's just going to be a part of who I am. If we know God, we will know our lack of measuring up to God. Mm. And that should give us all the cause we need for repentance. So we thank you guys for listening. We would love to hear feedback, pushback, (laughs) whatever it may be. Uh, 
we hope that it's been it's been helpful to you as help you consider. Help us repent. <laughs> yeah, help us again. Yeah, yeah, which we have done from former episodes occasionally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's been a joy uh, as always. To ch- chat with us, yeah. share your thoughts, like, comment, subscribe, whatever you have to do. Yeah. And yeah, we look forward to being with you, uh, being with you again next week. All right, see ya.